What's up, y'all, and welcome back to Found Bites, a game review series. My name is Brian. I'll be your host for the show. If you don't know about us, we're all about testing and finding small, high-quality video games. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find those gems that may be worth your precious resources. If you're interested in reaching out or helping out, feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe us on whatever podcast feed you are using. But enough about the show, let's get into our next game. Transistor is the game for this week's episode. Transistor is a tactical action RPG-ish. It's a pretty unique game, but in terms of comparisons, it kind of takes a little bit from your tactical RPGs like a Disgaea or a Fell Seal and combines it with almost like a hack and slash, kind of like near Release dates. I was initially released in May of 2014 on PC and PS4. And then in October of 2014 on Mac and Linux. And then in June of 2015 on iOS. And finally, November of 2018 on Switch. It was developed and published by a studio called Supergiant Games. This is their second game before it was Bastion. And then immediately after, Transistor was Pyre. And then finally, a game that it's probably most known for is a game called Hades. Now, I have not played Hades yet. I know I need to. Uh, I haven't played Pyre either, but I played this and Bastion. The game also had a limited run physical release on Switch and PS4 uh, around July of 2019. They had a regular edition with just the box, and then they had a collector's edition. This game also had a vinyl soundtrack release in 2018. Original MSRP of the game digitally was 1999. And the limited run releases, so just the physical game was $34.99, and then the collector's edition was $79.99. Runtime of the game, just the main story, probably about six hours. If you're going to do all of the extra stuff, anywhere between eight and up to like 15 hours. For our PlayStation listeners, this does have a platinum. I was maybe interested in doing the platinum run as I was going through the game this time, but I don't know if I'm going to commit to that. Me, I actually didn't buy this game. It was one of the PlayStation Plus games uh, way back when, and so I snagged it. It looked cool. I have beaten the game, and I just started replaying it again for the podcast. I've probably put in a little more than eight hours, somewhere between eight and ten. I did buy the Limited Run Collector's Edition. It is awesome. It comes in this cool box. It's got a replica ring that she wears. It's got a couple really good enamel pins. It has the game box and then an instruction booklet in the box, which is awesome. It's really good, a lot of detail. And then it's got like a postcard and some other things. Like it actually has some coasters. No one really recommended this game to me, but I had heard of Bastion, which was their previous game. 
and I did check that out for a little bit. It wasn't quite for me, but this game kind of came out of nowhere and it was on PlayStation Plus, so I figured let's dive in. get into the gameplay pretty basic stuff so the view of this this is a fully isometric camera and it is like cocked to the side at a 45 degree angle much like a tactical rpg like i said disgaea or fell seal or final fantasy tactics something like that but you're not moving like a chessboard you are actually freely moving your character so as you're traversing through this game you do have full control of your character like i said she moves at one pace she's not quite running but she's not quite, you know, slowly walking and you're just moving her around and you'll be moving her around the whole game. And you'll be moving along what looks like platforms or like are kind of hallways or maybe even streetways, kind of like you're walking through a city, but not quite. And then every now and then you'll walk into sort of an enclosed space, whether it's a room or whether it's like a plaza. But basically you're walking uh, in a direct path, kind of in a one-way travel. There's not a lot of like open world or, or going multiple ways. But what you're walking on almost looks like it's raised kind of like above a city a little bit. As you're walking through, you'll have a bunch of interactions. So you can interact with terminals and it'll be sort of like a short Q&A type thing, uh, just a little bit of an info dump. You can interact with buildings. You may be able to go in them, and then you can also stop and interact with views, like the character can you know, look out, again, as, as things are being said. Sometimes when you're traveling between areas, uh, there'll be like sort of a long travel sequence, which will kind of give you a cutscene. And sometimes it's like mildly interactive. And then sometimes you'll interact with characters that are sitting there. And sometimes they will give you an item, which is a function. And we'll talk about what that means. Or sometimes it'll actually initiate a battle. So speaking of battle, let's talk about combat. As you go to certain areas, you're going to kind of get locked in. Whether it's like a plaza or a room. Really, it's just this box that's kind of an open layout. And so it's just you and the enemies. However... As soon as you walk into an arena and it gets enclosed, there'll be some pillars that pop up and you can kind of use these as cover. These will get hit by your and enemy attacks and kind of fall, but then like gradually they'll regenerate. So you'll have to kind of tactically move to avoid enemy fire. And then enemies will start to appear. Sometimes they appear all at once. Sometimes they'll be kind of delayed and encased in pillars and you know you can open the pillars or the enemies can or and then sometimes there'll be like waves so you'll like complete a wave and then all of a sudden a second wave of enemies will come so movement and attacking so you can move once you're in battle in real time and you can attack in real time and you will have four moves or up to four moves that you can equip and if you're playing depending on what console or, or whatever you're playing on like i'm playing on playstation so it's the four face buttons, the you know X, circle, square, uh, triangle. And each of these will be a specific move. However, you're going to find very quickly that trying to walk around at her constant pace and avoid enemy attacks while also trying to attack them, it's not going to be cost effective because you're going to get hit. Again, she's not that fast. And so this is where the combat gets awesome because you can pause and you're going to take a quote-unquote turn. And it's listed as turn and then 
an open and closed parentheses after. So it's kind of alluding to like uh, things being coded or, or a code or, or some kind of digital thing. And what happens on turn is as soon as you hit the pause button, all of a sudden everything stops and the screen kind of turns like this dark and like lit up grid. And now it is tactical combat, but it's only tactical combat for you. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna prepare a sequence of what to do, and that can include some of your attacks and some of your movement. And at the top of the screen, there's gonna be this meter. As you choose to do things, it's gonna fill up the meter. And when the meter's full, you can't add anymore. What's good is that you don't have to commit because you can constantly you know, remove the last thing or all of the things and then replay your sequence. So you can do some trial and error as it's paused and you don't have to commit to it. You can really take your time. It's really good. Now, each of your moves, depending on what they are, are gonna take up a specific amount of the bar. And so you can kind of pick and choose which moves to do, or maybe if you have a little bit left over and the one move takes up too much, you can choose a different one to fit in there. And also you can move in between some of your attacks. And as you move, it will start to take up some of the bar. So even moving takes up some of that bar. And then once you're kind of set, hit go, and it'll play out its turn. Like your character will do all of those things and they'll do them very quickly, kind of all at once. Uh, it's not immediate, but it's very quickly in succession. And then once you do that, that meter at the top of your screen needs to recover before you do anything else. Now you can walk and kind of get behind some of the, the barriers or the, or the shields, but you're not gonna be able to do any of your real-time moves, but you basically have to wait until that recovery bar gets all the way back, and then you can pause and do another turn. So there's kind of a little bit of give and take here. There's some strategy, because if you pause and do some moves and don't fill the meter up, that's fine because it'll stop wherever you did it up to and then it'll recover from there. So you might wanna strategize when you pause um, and maybe not take up the whole meter if you know that as soon as you're out of it, you're gonna get whacked and, and possibly really get hit. Now, as you're in this battle arena, there will be enemy displays and it'll just be sort of like a line and then going to a flat line that'll show their uh, hit points maybe special information, and this stays there whether you're walking around in real time or whether you're in sort of that pause uh, turn menu. Also, when you're in that turn menu and you're choosing to do certain things, as soon as you add something to the bar, it'll tell you how it's going to affect the enemy, and it'll tell you how many hit points that enemy is gonna lose and if you're gonna hit it with a certain status effect. And it doesn't like overpopulate the screen or anything like that. I have found that it's not always 100% accurate with like how much hit points it's gonna take away because uh, sometimes if you do a certain move and you're directly behind the enemy, it'll backstab them and you'll get like extra damage. But um, sometimes in between attacks, the enemy might get like knocked off a little bit so it might not accurately depict all the damage that you're gonna do, which is fine. Um, and you can overkill enemies. So sometimes you may wanna do that if you're worried that you know one more hit will kill you. Maybe you just wanna make sure that they're dead. The enemies that you're going to see, uh, most of these are kind of robotic, and there's a good variety of their functionality, whether it's melee attacks, whether it's projectiles, um, and there's a good pacing of introducing new enemies or new concepts. You'll run into, not in the first battle or two, but after about four or five, um, are these enemies called cheerleaders, and they're basically just satellites that can move around, and they'll be pointing like a stream of protection 
towards a specific enemy. And while that enemy is protected, you can't hit the enemy. So you have to kill the cheerleader first. And so things like that will start to introduce themselves. Um, and I really like the pacing of that. Once you kill enemies, it'll leave like a little kind of seed behind and you need to go pick that up. And if you don't, after a certain amount of time, it'll turn into another enemy. You know, you constantly have to be aware of what's going on. You have to be on top of things. And I think if you collect that seed, um, it'll give you like extra experience. So you do have an incentive there. After you finish a battle, you will get experience. It'll be like a little summary, how close you are to the next level. And if you level up, you will be able to do possibly a couple things. So you'll have to wait until you uh, sort of get back to the next access point or save point. But you might be able to choose between new functions, which are moves, which we'll talk about in a second. And as you get to higher levels, you might get other things, access to limiters. You might open up some function slots. But again, all of that is done at access points. Um, and at access points, you can save or you can change up sort of the array of your moves, which are called functions. So functions. This is where the game gets super interesting. So a function is like a specific move. Like there will be ones that are basic, like one's called crash, and it's just a simple melee attack. One is called break, which is sort of like it shoots out a more powerful attack in a line, and you can actually aim it to hit multiple enemies. And you can acquire these, um, like I said, from leveling up. You can choose. Sometimes you'll pick, pick between two and you'll when you level up or sometimes if you beat a boss, or sometimes if you meet up with a character. This also provides something very interesting, which we'll talk about when we talk about sort of the lore. Every one of these moves or functions is kind of linked to a specific character or a specific NPC. Now, when you get to the access point and you look at your functions, I'm just going to tell you about essentially what the full menu of the functions looks like. So you have four slots for moves. So these are any function that you put in here, you'll be able to do that move, whether it's in real time or whether you're in the, the pause kind of turn menu. And then under each of those four moves, there are two secondary slots, so eight secondary slots in total. Now, you won't have access to all of these right away. You have to sort of unlock some of these secondary slots by leveling up. And then you'll also have access to four passive slots. Again, you have to level up to unlock some of these. And what's interesting is that any function can go in a move slot, can go in a secondary slot on top of another move, or can go in a passive slot. This makes the customization almost endless because you can have multiple combinations of the same functions. So for example, there's the crash function, which is a simple melee attack. And then there's another one that you might get a little later called bounce. And it basically just the raw function, if you put it in the move slot, it'll shoot a projectile at an enemy. And then after that, it'll go and hit another enemy. And then it'll hit another enemy because it bounces off of them. But if you were to put that bounce function in a secondary slot on top of like your crash move, now when you do your crash move, it'll hit someone with a melee attack, but then it'll start a chain reaction and bounce that attack to multiple enemies. Now, again, you can swap it and you can have the bounce be the move and then have the crash be the secondary attack. And what's really cool is the menu will detail what it's going to do when that function is in a move slot or in a secondary slot. It'll show you all the possible combinations. Like if you put in a move for, like if you put the crash function in as a move 
and then you look in the menu, it'll show you what all the combinations of all of the different functions that you have if you put the different ones in the secondary slot, what it will do or what it will add to your crash attack. This also kind of provides a character link and a lore link because, like I said, every function is linked to an NPC or a character. And as you put that function in different slots, whether it's the move slot, the passive slot, or the secondary slot, you're actually going to, after you use it a couple times, you'll learn more information about that character. So I love this synergy here between gameplay and lore. It's so satisfying, especially because, in my opinion, learning about these characters in the story is also... In terms of accessibility, there aren't any difficulty options here. And when you're in battle, you will have a health bar. However, if your health bar goes all the way down, you're not going to die. In fact, what you're going to do is one of your functions gets destroyed. And so it's kind of like a cost-benefit analysis here because if you're like facing a boss that's really tough and you get really far and you happen to get your health all the way down, you might weigh that like, okay, maybe I can keep going without that function. It is possible to get functions again, I think. Even if you're leveling up and like you choose one over the other, you might see the other one again later. Now you can always kind of retry the battle or reload a save, but I found that like sometimes maybe I tried to push on. You can kind of weigh that. So again, no difficulty options, but there is something that does mitigate just straight up dying. You'll also get limiters eventually, and these kind of add like a challenge mode, especially if you've played any of the Dark Souls games or, or the From Software games. Like sometimes there are certain rings that like add damage to you, but at the benefit of like maybe getting more XP. Um, so these are basically that. They're like punishers, and they'll like double damage from enemies, but they'll give you more XP and maybe some other rewards. And then eventually you'll get to these test rooms. It's called the sandbox. Basically, these are like trials, not quite endless mode, but like more along the challenge aspect. I don't know if you get in-game rewards for beating these, but uh, you do get a trophy or an achievement for, for doing this. And these will unlock periodically as you progress through the story and as you level up. get into the vibe of Transistor. Let me tell you, this game kicks ass with vibe. It's got so much character. It's got so much going on. It is just oozing a badass vibe. So let's start with the visuals. There are a lot of colors here. It is very colorful. Um, they use bright colors or not so much bright as just like rich colors. And it kind of alternates between neon and and then like pastel that's kind of blurred. So there is some blurriness here, and I just love the vibe that you get from it. But at the same time, there is this dark contrast, or like these, there's a lot of bright reds and oranges, 
but there are a lot of there's a lot of darkness um, that's kind of intertwined with it. In terms of areas, there's a lot of verticality, like I talked about. It's almost like you're above a, a big city, but it's very futuristic. It with the verticality, it reminds me of the movie Fifth Element, where there's like a city that's built way up, and there's a lot that's really far down and far up in terms of buildings and architecture and technology. Lots of futuristic vibes here. But it's interesting because there's this dichotomy, I feel, with the art and the culture, whereas the art and the culture is kind of very modern day. Uh, it's almost like simplistic. It's like so many things are futuristic, and yet what we do, what we appreciate, is still kind of the same as it was, especially when it comes to uh, like music. Uh, you'll eventually find out that your main character is a music artist, and that's also intertwined with some of the sound that you hear. Alongside of that, there's a lot of like practicality. It seems to undercut things, but kind of in a humorous way, and I feel like it makes the game kind of not take itself too seriously. Uh, there are plenty of times that I did chuckle a little bit, like if I read something, like when you go up to a building, it'll tell you what the building is and, and what you can do to interact with it, but then it'll have like a weird statistic, like how many people have walked across this, or like it, just random things. I, again, I don't want to spoil things, but I also can't remember off the top of my head. In terms of the character art, you'll see this in the menus, because like I said, the functions are going to relate to characters, so they're going to have like a drawing, a hand drawing, or, or, or whatever next to the information that'll show the character. Again, sort of like this pastel, and it's blurred, it's smeared. I love the colors, and I love the poses of these characters. It's such a strange infusion of like futuristic, and yet a lot of these poses and these characters giving like a high society vibe, almost like this pretentiousness or this attitude. It's such a cool fusion of futuristic and yet like old money almost like i said there will be cut scenes and sort of like traveling scenes and these are very colorful as well but there's this noir vibe it's just so intertwined well some of the travel scenes there'll be like a silhouette of her on like a motorcycle or something like that like i said noir almost like a sin city or like this comic vibe to it because There'll be a cutscene, and you'll see like the characters' pictures kind of move side to side or something like that. Um, but you'll never see their art sort of physically moving. It's always kind of stoic. What caps this vibe of like noir and sort of Sin City is there's a narrator voice. It's not quite a narrator. I don't want to give too much away, but it gives me like Max Payne vibes because it's narrating over the top, but yet it's commenting on things that you're doing in real time. And this is something that they did a little bit in Bastion, but man, does it just kick ass here. It really sets a vibe. It's actually a character and it's sort of talking to you, the girl, the main character, but also like kind of giving commentary or off the cuff comments about things that you see or interact with. It's actually the only voice that you hear in the game, aside from some of the songs. And so leading into the story, like I said, this sort of narrator is the only voice that you'll hear talking because your character, uh, her name is Red, or at least that's what he calls her, she lost her voice. She actually doesn't have a voice. And so all of the info that you're going to get is from this other narrator, this other character. And you'll find out very quickly that it's actually the sword that she's carrying that is this narrator. And so you will read things, you will interact with things, but the voice is going to constantly overlay and comment, 
and give context and inference to what you're looking at or what you're reading. And this is very helpful, I feel, because I remember the first time I played through this, uh, the first third, I was kind of lost as to what was happening because I wasn't really listening to what, what the voice was saying. This is also pretty paramount when you're unlocking information about the NPCs by sort of leveling up or trying the functions in different slots because every time you go to those function pages and look at the character information, the voiceover will have something to say about this character and it's really cool, I love it. You'll also find in terms of like the grand plot, uh, there's a lot of sinister things going on. Um, you'll actually find out that there are sort of multiple antagonist entities in this game. One that's sort of immediate and then one that's, you know, sort of like kind of to the side adjacent. The theme of kind of digital and code is going to be there throughout. Like I said, uh, it calls it like when you pause in, in battle, it calls it a turn. And then there's open and close parentheses after it. I don't know what that is in coding or but I think it's trying to simulate some kind of coding. Also, when you're dragging the sword, it's kind of too heavy. She doesn't walk around with it on her shoulder. She's dragging it. The sword is a transistor or it's called the transistor. And as you drag it, you'll see sort of like it. At first, it looks like sparks or just like a trail of sparks is following it, but it's actually like neon kind of digitized that's following it and going into the ground and then disappearing. It's really cool. It's a really good touch. But in terms of all of the story and lore stuff, I feel like there's a, a healthy level of ambiguity that even if you don't quite get all the nuggets of information, you're really just enjoying everything that's coming at you and what you're hearing and what you're seeing. In terms of sound, the music, once again, kicks ass really does uh the opening track uh, with these long bass notes and guitars there's a little bit of punk and techno and it really gives this dystopian vibe this vibe of like direness and hopelessness and also like kind of mobilization like let's rise against what's happening or let's take these people out and some of the tracks do have a vocalist i think i know who the vocalist is in terms of the game Again, I don't want to spoil, but I like how those tracks are kind of incorporated. In terms of the enemies, they really stand out because, like I said, the environments are colorful, like a neon. Uh, the enemies are like black and white, and they're like sleek and polished, almost like they're almost like they're like androids. And some are shaped like animals or spiders, and some are like humanoid. So a really good variety there, um, and and good visuals there. <laughs> Let's wrap up the conversation about Transistor. I'm just going to flat out say it. You got to play this game. There's so much vibe that's oozing. It just slays. It's so badass. And there's this synergy that goes on between the voice that's talking and the music and the visuals. I would say some kind of dystopian, futuristic, punk noir would best describe this. Just well done and a good experience. And the combat customization, it's endless what you want to do, what you can do. Um, and if something's not working in a battle, you can go back and like switch out some of your functions. And I like discovering different combinations and what it can do. I think this game has good replayability as well. And there is a new game plus, and you can kind of do different things with that, get things that you missed. I would pay $20, more than $20 for this game. 
Um, I think it's such a great experience. It's well-crafted, and it just has a hell of a vibe to it. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.